One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And as always, we welcome your calls and comments throughout the morning. But we always and always welcome letters as well to the programme. And it's always great to get letters. And I want to acknowledge a letter uh, because it contains some cash in the post this morning from someone. I don't know what part of the city or county uh, Breda is in, but just to say good morning to you, Breda, and thank you for your ge- generosity. Breda was listening to me yesterday when I was talking about the generosity of somebody in Skibbereen in West Cork who had sent on 50 euro for that young girl Vika that young mother that we met on my trip to Belarus back I, was, I keep saying recent but it was back in May maybe six months ago when we went over and we found her in dreadful conditions with with her children and uh, the Skibbereen listener had sent on 50 euro saying she was thinking of her and would I get the money over to her so that she could buy something for the boys uh, for Christmas so that was very kind very generous of you and actually we heard from her yesterday one of the one of the little lads ended up in hospital and that oh, with itself brings financial complications to her in that trying to get money to get to and from the hospital and the little boy was coming out yesterday and trying to get money to pay somebody to bring the little boy home and anyway bless her the money couldn't have come at a better time uh, but then this morning Breda writes to me saying Patricia please find in close 20 euro for that young woman that you've just spoken about on the radio I was just so sad cleaning my kitchen listening to you talking about her and then listening listening to you talk about another horse who died in agony in Cork City and yes I also saw the pictures of that misfortunate lurcher and her new litter of pups chained up to the gate. My God, how heartless. Knowing how animals protect their babies, my heart is broken. Patricia, that's why I'm sending you this 20 euro for that young woman in a foreign country with no family to support her. I'm sorry for ranting on, but the animal cruelty in this country is just beyond words. It's not much, Patricia, but it's all I can afford. Keep up the good work in your wonderful programme. Breda, thank you, Breda. And 20 euro is a huge sum of money going to Belarus it will go really really far indeed so thank you for your kindness and your generosity people have, have great big hearts and you know if, you've, if you're obviously a regular listener to the programme you know my views when it comes to animal cruelty I can't even read the stories because yesterday when I was trying to read the one about the horse I had to stop midway before I got into too much of the detail I didn't want to upset myself or upset any of you the listeners who like me cannot understand how anyone how anyone can be cruel to a defenceless animal. It's just shocking. Now, on the oh, before we get to some of your calls and comments already uh, coming in, I want to mention the wonderful Scally's Super Value in Clonakilty because they've won the IGD Diversity and Inclusion Award for Autism Friendly Shopping and they've also got runner-up in Store of the 
Year category at the IGD Awards and they were held last night in London. Great big gala affair, I imagine, for a supermarket. So well done and congratulations. Scally Supervalue in Clonakilty. Anyone who's a regular shopper there will know what a fabulous, fabulous store it is. So congratulations to uh, everyone. Now, we are looking for your thoughts and comments on single-use coffee cups and the fact that it uh, looks most likely that they're going to be hit with what has been affectionately called the latte levy. Up to 25 cent will be added. This is under the government's plans. The government are trying to do something to tackle plastic waste. Now, they're still toying around with what the exact figure will will be and they're getting involved with market research I suppose they're testing to see how much will people be willing to pay uh, so it could be anything it could be as low as 10 cent but it's not going to be I think any higher than 25 cent per cup of coffee that you buy in a single use coffee or a cup of tea or a hot chocolate or whatever you're having yourself it's a bit to reduce Ireland's plastic waste the government have announced a number of measures which they're hoping will change consumer and business behaviour it's all down to the Minister for Communications Climate Action and the Environment that of course is Richard Bruton he's announced a number of proposed environmental levies to encourage all of us to be more sustainable in our behaviour while there has been some speculation that the levy tax idea was due to be scrapped because the threat of such a tax had prompted coffee sh- coffee shops to already switch to more sustainable products but the government has decided no they're still going ahead with it. On the introduction of the coffee cup levy the minister said it has clear benefits for the environment when you consider that 22,000 disposable coffee and tea cups are used every hour in this country. I had to reread that figure again. I thought he was going to say daily but every single hour 22,000 disposable coffee and tea cups and what happens to them they all end up in the bin the coffee cup levy should also lead to savings he's saying for consumers who make the switch as the savings from retailers will have to carry less disposable stock in introducing the coffee cup levy clear pricing information will be vital clear information regarding price will be important also in driving the change according to the minister now the minister said shops well and coffee shops and wherever you're getting your cup of coffee garages. They'll have to display pricing information so the customers have all the information and you know exactly what you're going to pay before you buy your cup of tea or your cup of, cup of coffee. Coffee cups will, coffee shops will have to set out the price of coffee alone and that's for people who bring in their own keep cups. So you can't be charged the same price. If you arrive in with your own cup this guy, you've got to clearly see that you're paying less than the person behind you in who's queuing up and is going for one of the single-use coffee cups. Additional charges on top of the price of coffee will also have to be displayed, such as the added charge for the single-use cup, which, of course, then will include the cost of the cup and the cost of the levy. Now, the changes will not be put out, which will now be put out to public consultation, also includes an increase in the existing plastic bag levy. Now, the plastic bag levy certainly has worked. But as was predicted, when the plastic bag levy first came in and it came in and it was only a couple of cents when it started, we said, ah, that'll go up, that'll go up. And it is going to go up. It's 22 cents at the moment is what you get charged if you don't bring your bags with you per plastic bag. That's going to go up to 
25 cent. But there's also going to be another change. The plastic bag levy is going to extend to the medium weight plastic bags. You know when you buy what's deemed a bag for life, the the reusable bags, but many of the reusable bags are plastic. So if there's any plastic element in it, they're now also going to have a charge. Most of them at the moment, you can buy like, you know, a kind of a strong plastic bag at the counter, the checkout in all of the supermarkets and they're about 70 cent. That now is going to go up by 25 cent. So they will go to 95 cent. But the bags for life ones, the cloth bags, they're the ones that are going to remain exempt. So I suppose, again, they're trying to get getting getting us away from using any kind of plastic and get us to make sure that all of the bags that we are using are of a cloth or some kind of a material and just move completely away from uh, plastic and you know it's it's something has to be done we know we've known for quite some time that we've had an issue with plastic uh, so our our people the question we're asking this morning how do people feel about the latte levy do you think it's the right move on behalf of the government and will if you are a regular drinker of coffee that you regularly maybe call on the way to work or you get one when you're out doing your shopping will you make sure like you do with your plastic bags for shopping, will you make sure that you have your, your reusable bag? You will you make sure you have your reusable cup like you have your reusable bag uh, with you. But the other, one other point that I was interested to try to find out because as, as I mentioned there, the government had hoped to introduce the latte levy earlier and they had been talking about it. But then all of the, co- a lot of the coffee shops started bringing in cups, compostable cups, because to try to avoid this latte levy. But it seems that the levy is going to target all coffee cups, including those that are disposable and not jo- not just those that are recyclable. So every single one of the coffee cups, because they've noticed that even with the ones that are compostable, the huge number of them still end up going into the brown bin, still end up going on for either incineration or go to landfill. So even though they are recyclable, they don't end up getting recycled. So rather than confuse the issue, the levy will be in, pl- in place on all disposable coffee cups whether they are recyclable or not that I think is going to annoy people it'll certainly annoy the industry and annoy people in the coffee shops who've been doing great work to get in these compostable cups which are obviously dearer than the ones you just chuck into the bin and the levy on takeaway containers then is going to be the next one there'll be a bit of a wait on that though 2022 it's proposed to develop a second phase of levies which will be on all of your takeaway containers and there's if you are regularly get takeaways there's a lot of plastic there's a lot of those come come in now again some of the restaurants are moving I know certainly an Asian street food place that we use regularly for takeaways they have cardboard containers which is fantastic there's a little bit of plastic but the majority of their food comes in cardboard which I always like to see now we put this up on our social media sites yesterday evening just to see kind of reaction people were getting to the latte levy let me just bring you some of what people some of our listeners are saying Maureen says why does the public again 
have to pay. Surely it's the coffee shops that provide the cup that should pay it and instead provide us with an eco-friendly cup. Well, you see, as I said, some do and the eco-friendly cup still ends up going in for general landfill. Peggy says some restaurants have already introduced the biodegradable cups. Will we still have to pay? Is it going to be another tax across the board? Yeah, sorry I've answered that one. That's exactly uh, what it is going to be. Michael is in Glengarriff on this uh, issue. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning. The latte levy, good idea or bad idea? A good idea, what? because the cups along the, the, the roadside, they're the biggest uh, litter along the road. When I'm picking up litter along the road, the cups and the, the tops of the cups and the compostable ones are there as well. Like, you know, so the, they, they create the most, most litter along the road. So people are buying their cup of coffee at the garage or whatever, the supermarket, driving along the car and then rather than when wait till they get home, they open the window and fire out the cup. They open the window and fire out the cup and if they have a, a, a bar and the wrapper and things, they might shove that into the cup as well and just put the cap on again and throw the whole lot out. So you're nearly able to say what they had for their lunch. <laughs> this is it. Oh, yeah, ridiculous, yeah, that. Yeah. And is that a new phenomenon? Is that, are you uh, it's, it's getting worse, we'll say, with the last... Uh, We'll say 10 years now that they were very scarce, like, but with the last 10 years now, they're they're getting worse, you know. And the, the tops then break down, you see, and get into the water shores and get swept into the sea with the plastic. After so many months in the side of the road, they just break down and disintegrate, and then they break up into small pieces. And obviously, they're washed into drains and washed into the sea. Then, the, and there you have the microplastics. Yeah. And we've already seen the success of the plastic bag levy. Would you see as many plastic bags in the ditches as was? Yeah. Yeah. So definitely that's worked. Oh, that has worked well. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. We have to unfortunately tax people to get people to change their ways. All right, Michael, thank you for that. Okay, you're thanks, welcome. Thanks Thank for you. joining Bye. us. Uh, bye-bye. 1850 Maeve says the government need to deal with large companies who wrap everything in light plastics. Yeah, because those light plastics can't be recycled. Start at the top, please, says Maeve. That's where we need to see the change. Courtney says, will people just buy a reusable cup and shut up? Oh, good God. Like, do you not actually realise the destruction our world is under? Because most of you and the older generation don't care about trying to save the planet. Why? Because you won't be here to see it. Well, what about your grandchildren? What about your great-grandchildren? Just use a reusable cup and buy, and simply buy one. It's as simple as that, says Courtney, who's very, very annoyed about this whole issue. And Mike says, pointless. If you use your own mug in most shops, you could charge the regular price rather than the discounted price. Rip-off Republic is back. Well, that's one thing that will change Mike with the latte levy because there's going to have to be clear display pricing information and customers will be able to walk into any garage any coffee shop any restaurant that's selling takeaway coffees and you will be able to clearly see how much it is to buy coffee alone without the cup so that's one thing that certainly will come in uh, your thoughts and comments welcome John Paul taking the calls text or whatsapp 0862 103 103 now coming up on the programme this morning fewer than 3% of new Garda recruits have been deployed to Cork City which is a kind of a shocking figure when you think Cork City it's the second largest city in this country 
And we have a drugs issue. We sadly have a problem with heroin on the streets of Cork. We need to have more Gardaí out on the beat. And if we're not getting enough of the new recruits, then we simply don't have enough uh, Gardaí. I was reading a report in the Examiner from earlier this year where they were talking about a particular Saturday night in Cork City where there was only two Gardaí available to go out on the beat in Cork City, in the main city area, the busiest time of the week and there was only two Gardaí available. Absolutely crazy. If they had to deal with an incident and another incident broke out, sure, there was no other Gardaí to go. We need more Gardaí. And how do we get the new Gardaí? We are recruiting more, which is great. There's more coming out of Templemore. We need them to be assigned to uh, Cork. We're going to be discussing cyber safety on the programme today with the publication of a new children's book. We also will be hearing how Cork County Council is planning to work with schools to lessen the harmful effects of vehicle exhaust emissions on our children and then the wonderful Phil Coulter will be joining us at about quarter to twelve uh, today much loved singer songwriter that's in advance of some local gigs that he's doing and then after half past twelve we'll go to the movies we'll find out what's on uh, with Mark Malone some of your texts uh, in on the latte levy somebody says by text bring back the flask what was wrong with when you went on a long journey and you filled up your flask before you went and you bought the flask and you brought your mugs home with you that's for sure Tim says this levy should have been brought in and introduced long long ago someone else says I, ne- we never used to have plastic cups we never used to have plastic bags and the world never stopped turning what is wrong with people why do we need so much plastic Another texter. And regarding the latte levy, is your coffee going to cost less if you bring your own reusable cup? I wonder. No, we've discussed that. It, no, it will be cheaper. Uh, well, it won't be cheaper, but you won't be paying for the cup and you won't be paying for the for the levy. That's for sure. Just wondering what will happen to all the money collected by this latte levy, says uh, a listener. I'm assuming like the plastic bag one gets ring fenced and goes into environmental pro- projects. I suppose we'll get more detail on that when it's actually introduced. And that texture says, while they're on, would you also wish more Nabby ladies football team on Sunday in the All-Ireland semi-final? The best of luck and good luck also to the Kilchanik Junior A team playing in the county final. That's also on Sunday. Glad to do that. Some of your WhatsApps in more Mara in Ballydehab about the latte levy. I completely support this task. We as a society need to change our behaviours, period. Don't get me started on why we've allowed the manufacturers of these cups to produce these toxic items. And that's from Mara in Ballydahab. Mike from Bohabui on coffee cups. I often walk the roadside and I can confirm that the roadsides are covered with these cups. So therefore, I I absolutely support bringing in a latte levy and encouraging people to bring their own cups with them. So Mike from Boerbui noticing what Michael from Glengariff, who's out picking up, he does one of the litter picking and saying everywhere they go, these coffee cups, please, if you're going to, if you're going to, it's bad enough that you're you're using a single use coffee cup, will you at least bring it home with you? And if it is, check and see if it is one of the compostable ones, then put it into the compost bin, but don't just roll down the we- the window of your car and toss it out. What kind of homes do you come from? And Sue says, latte levy, way to go. I make every effort to carry a keep cup with me. I drink a lot of coffee, says Sue. Thank you for that. 1850 We're going to take a break and we are back uh, discussing the policing numbers on our city streets. 
Egg foil mock quid then and here is Farlane. Shaw eight thrower C one oh three air kirkig. Is Marga Bay and the English market a lorha harkui in a will ramesha lahan stali shastoin, le bush dairy, bokhari, canahori aishk, stali glossary, shapui cafe a hodas clohish, agas avatni smo. Tinkor all of us the hodil, when salt does an atmosphere, no blossom, agas blafele on irgniv show, a hand shirgatin vlien, mila shakiat sa hochta hocht. Behan Margashan, I'm sure show, a hot a grill or nakarach, Marhut dot hit trussele, edumale. Nukta, quid denaneha, is Fari Gorkik, C103. This week, Sinn Féin Dáil Deputy Jonathan O'Brien raised the ever growing problem of heroin on the streets of Cork City and has called for an increase in the number of Gardaí deployed there. Deputy Jonathan O'Brien joins me. Good morning to you, Jonathan. Um, you're, you're welcome to the programme. Now, we've seen an increase in the number of new Garda recruits. Why have so few recruits been deployed to Cork City? I mean, I believe the figure is fewer than 3%. Yeah, it's 2.5%. Uh, I think we've, since Templemore has reopened, we've seen 2,800 recruits come through it and less than 70 have come to Cork City and Company. Um, I don't know why. Uh, the government won't tell us why. They say that it's an operational matter for Garda Shikana and it's at the discretion of the Garda Commissioner to deploy recruits where he sees fit. Uh, to date, he hasn't seen fit to deploy to our county in significant numbers. And I was asking the government to try and speak to the Garda Commissioner um, in relation to this to see if we can get a fair share of recruits to Cork. And do the government have a role? I mean, can they speak to the Garda Commissioner and say, look, take a look at Cork? Yeah, I mean, the government have, you know, their, their Minister for Justice in particular would be in regular contact with the Garda Commissioner. And while they don't, uh, and they don't have the power to uh, direct the Garda Commissioner to put recruits where they would like to see them, uh, surely, you know, in their everyday conversation, they can raise some of the concerns that the likes of myself and um, even the guards themselves in the Cork City Division have raised concerns around the lack of recruits coming. Uh, so they can certainly raise the issue with the Garda Commissioner and ask him to take a closer look at, at the area. And Jonathan, is there a lot of evidence of heroin use on the streets of Cork? I've been campaigning on heroin uh, and it's, I suppose, it's, it's, it's probably the worst I've seen it, Patricia, in the 20 years I'm involved in politics uh, currently. Um, the number of people who are dying from heroin overdoses um is at an all-time high. Um, I have more people coming to me in my office in relation to family members who are trying to get rehab and detox coming off heroin. Um, so it is, without a doubt, I would say the worst I've ever seen it. Yeah, and that's the other side of this story. I mean, it's, you know, it's bad enough that we don't have enough Gardaí on the beat, particularly when you're, when you're talking about the heroin epidemic. But I mean, the heroin epidemic, these people are, are addicts. And I know whenever I speak with the likes of Katrina Toomey from Penny Dinners, you know, she speaks about the insufficient drug addiction services. Yeah, I mean, heroin is one of those drugs. Once you take it, it is virtually impossible to detox from. It is an extremely hard drug habit to kick. Um, and what a lot of heroin addicts need is a stabilisation unit. Therefore, in most rehab and detox centres, you have to uh, enter them clean. So you need to be off the drug of your choice for a period of time before you can get the rehab and uh, the support you need. 
with heroin, it's virtually impossible to go cold turkey. Um, you can go on a methadone program, but even that in itself is extremely difficult. Um, so what we need are stabilisation units, units which will take addicts in the throes of their addiction, help them through the detox period, and then move them on to rehab. Unfortunately, we don't have one single stabilisation bed outside of Dublin in this country. Not one. My God. We have 144 detox beds uh, in the state, um, which is nowhere near enough to meet the demand that's there. I mean, it is absolutely crazy. The people are dying from heroin abuse, uh, and you do not have one stabilisation unit outside of Dublin. And is there any talks of stabilisation beds in Cork? There is. The Drug Task Force have put in for funding and have received funding for a stabilisation unit in Cork, which I think is up to 20 beds. I'd have to check the number, Good. but it is a small Good. number of beds. But it is it's a start. It will be the first stabilisation unit outside of Dublin. Um, and there has been, to give government credit, there has been a change in policy where we're trying to move away from a criminal justice uh, focus on drug use to a public health policy. And in my opinion, that is a good move because once you move it into a public health sphere, then it opens up um, other avenues of funding. And it also treats the addict with some bit of respect. And it is, it is fair to say that a lot of these addicts, bless their hearts, they want to come off these drugs. I don't know any heroin addict who wants to be a heroin addict. Yeah. Uh, they may not set out to be an addict, um, and they may use heroin in particular for whatever reason they use it first day, but nobody sets out to have a life of misery and addiction. It is misery is a good word. It's a miserable, miserable life. It is, unfortunately, and families suffer as a result, and uh, as a consequence, communities suffer. I mean, all of these addicts come from communities, communities we live in, Um you know, they're not anonymous people. They have families. Some have children, parents, siblings. Um, the vast, vast majority of them are actually good people. Yeah. The addiction is... is has, taken has, taken o- has, has taken over. There's the recruitment embargo. I hadn't realised this is affecting the drug addiction services in Cork. It, it is, and uh, not just in Cork, throughout the state. Um, similar, and it's an embargo that's right across the HSE. And we have posts which are waiting to be filled since last February um, in the drug addiction uh, side of the health department. Um, and that's a post which uh, they have funding. They have the funding. We've lost Jonathan. Are you there, Jonathan? We've lost... Additional oh, sorry, sorry, we lost you there for a second. Uh, you were saying there, there, there is funding available, but because there's a recruitment embargo, they can't recruit yeah. anyone. Yes, so if somebody... What a ridiculous uh, scenario. It is absolutely crazy. If somebody retires or somebody is promoted and the position becomes available. So the position is actually there. It has been sanctioned by government. Uh, The the funding is there for that uh, post to be refilled. But in order to fill it, you have to get an order from the department, so from Simon Harris, to allow you to actually advertise and fill the post. And we have posts which are there for the last eight months waiting for authorization from the department to be filled. Now, I have my own suspicions why that is not happening quick enough. It is because we have a massive uh, overrun in the health budget. 
and this is the way I'll try to save That'll keep them, yeah, yeah, it'll save money at the end of the year. Um, Alright, okay, it's it's a grim, grim uh, picture that you paint, uh, Jonathan. Uh, thank you for that. And actually, before you go, somebody has yep. just texted in, and actually I was in the city myself yesterday, and I, I did notice this. Somebody said, I thought there was to be no posters put up for the forthcoming election. The posters have gone up for the by-election. Was to be uh, no, was no. There, there, there was never a decision on no posters. There was never a decision. There was talk about putting in legislation to, to ban the use of postals, but uh, that legislation has not uh, come before the dial. So um, it's up to each individual candidate and political party to decide whether they want to put a poster. And what is your view on posters? Um, my view on posters is that it's an important part of an election campaign. If you're uh, not an incumbent sitting TD, um, they do form a an integral part of somebody's campaign, but I think that they should be used in limited circumstances. And we're seeing many communities now, and uh, particularly towns and villages, and even, you know, uh, some of our suburbs who are bringing, and who are asking candidates not to put up posters in their area. And if if a candidate is asked not to put up uh, a poster in a particular town or village, then they should abide by that. And, and even be- though they're not legally obliged. Yeah, so and, and believe so. me, they do. We've had a few instances where somebody didn't know about didn't know about it. They, and they put a poster up, by God, the abuse they got. They took the poster down really quick. You lose votes, I'm telling you, if you put a poster up where it shouldn't be up. All right, listen, Jonathan, thank you for that and thanks for joining no us on the programme. Uh, good morning yeah. to you. That is uh, Sinn Féil Dawn Deputy uh, Jonathan O'Brien. 1850-333-103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Hello, this is Eric Griffin. Join me Monday to Friday between 7 and 8 for some great songs on C103 Anthems. Hello, this is Sean Keane. Hello, this is Cathy Durkin. Hi, this is Louise Morrissey. Hi, this is Mick Flavin. Hello, this is Declan Ernie here and you're listening to Eric Griffin on Country and Irish on C103. Don't miss Anthems at 7 and the very best of country and Irish remains right here on C103. I'm a huge supporter of giving books to children because the gift of reading is probably the most precious gift you can give. And to give a book that is a message that will keep children safe, well, that's an added bonus. Joining me in studio to preview a book that focuses on cyber safety is the author who's educational psychologist Anne Lenahan and also in studio Marek Shepatovsky, who is the managing director of Health and Safety Publications which is based here in North. North Cork. Good morning to you folks and, and you're very welcome. And if I can start with you, it's Sam and Sue learn about cyber safety. What age group are you pitching this book at? We're actually pitching it at the younger age group now, the preschool and early childhood group, because when we researched this, we realised that there are a lot of resources at post-primary level. Um, there are some resources then at primary level, but there's very, very little for the younger age group. And I think and these are yeah. children that are going online, let's oh, be honest. Oh, totally. I mean, you know yourself, if you're having difficulty getting onto any of your apps or on, onto any of your sites, the easiest thing to do is just hand it to your four-year-old and they're going to get in there pretty quickly, you know. Um, so absolutely, they are online. Yes, um, and I think the reason that there may be less resources for them is that generally children of that age are with adults so they're very much supervised. You believe you're supervising your child. Then if you give them... Um, a smartphone or a device with access to internet, you are like it's a huge gift and it's a huge resource because they have access to the world. But you have to remember that the world also has access to them at that mm. point, you know. Yeah. So yeah. you really do need to be on um, top of and, it. And what your book is about, it's, it's, it's getting the message across that children need to talk 
to their parents about what they see and do online, isn't isn't absolutely, that absolutely absolutely? I suppose for this age level, we had to pitch it um, at a level that was appropriate for their cognitive development, for their understanding. So we looked really at four main rules or four main guidelines for parents. And that would be, you know, to always show a grown up that you trust any new websites um, or games that you intend to go on. Because sometimes you see a free game comes on screen. Pops and up. Yeah. And then kids don't necessarily check with their parents because they're saying, oh, that's free. Well, mom and dad won't mind that, you know, they're not going to say is it going to cost me something. So yeah. we just get in there. Um, secondly, about not talking to strangers online. Obviously, that's a huge one and not giving personal information. Um, the other aspect that we wanted to touch on was cyberbullying. You know, get the message across that speak to your friends online as if you were in the playground with them. You know, if you wouldn't like to say it to their face, absolutely, would, yeah, well, because the anonymity is, is there online. And then finally, um, always tell a grown up that you trust if there's something that you're not comfortable with that you're seeing online. So yeah. for that age level, that's that's kind of all you and, need to get And going. it's it's it's. Beautifully illustrated. It's and fantastic quality. And the the idea is you would sit with your children and read this book. Absolutely. Well, there are a couple of ideas. I suppose the message is central, but for this age level, again, it's about being attractive and appealing to children. So that's where the the illustrator that that Marek sourced just brought it to life, brought Sam and Sue to life, brought the story to life. So it's really going to engage children. But as well as that, in the beginning and at the end of it, because we want it to be a resource for teachers and parents, we have tips for parents at the beginning on how to approach the book and at the end discussion points then on further things that you can do at home with your child, discuss various scenarios, etc. What is a stranger? Who is a stranger? So to make it personal to yourself as well. Yeah. Uh, let me bring uh, Marek in. Marek, uh, you're, as I said, Managing Director of Health and Safety uh, Publications. But this is your first venture into children's books. It is. How did it come about? What happened is... Um we very often hear from our customers, which are usually safety professionals, that this should be taught in school or this should be taught from preschool age. And we listen. We are a small company. We are flexible. We listen. So uh, we, we, I have three girls myself, three young girls, two, uh, five and seven. Um, so while I know that they should be exposed to certain risk to learn how to deal with them, I want to make their environment safe as well. And, and you don't want to scare children. No, you know, no. you you want to teach them, educate them without frightening them. We want to give parents a tool and yeah. teachers a tool. That's what we do. We support training industry. We thought training industry is one industry, but parents need uh, help as well. Yeah. Parents need um, resources to to deal with uh, today's era issues or and and, and risk and, and cyber safety. I suppose is one of them, which is completely. Um, Overlooked. Um, mm. It's a new risk, um, new new threat for for little kids. We we have to find a way to deal with it and to pass the message. And the the plan will be that you're going to have a range of books. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, obviously, um, we we are still health and safety publishers. We still supply the health and safety industry, uh, but we also thought um, gentle message in in books like that. Uh, this is something that's lacking and and we identified already i think 16 areas we we want to um for example uh, medical emergency 
You, you must have seen videos on YouTube where a small child rings one one two because yeah. the parent or grandparent had Has an accident. Collapsed. Yeah. We don't want it to be a genius child that did it. We want every child to be able to do it because they will be prepared, you know, in case through the story. And again, as you said, not threatening them, yeah. but to 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 raise in a very that awareness. Gentle way, get yeah. the message across. Raise that awareness. That's so little kids will know. The next book uh, will have two very simple messages. One one two. Ring, ring it, know your postcode, you know. Yeah, which you, is vital. Yeah. You wouldn't expect a child of two or three to give CPR to an adult because it won't work. But you, you'd hope that they will know the postcode. So that the ambulance can get there as quickly as exactly, possible. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So we want to, to sneak through those small little messages yeah. to, to give the knowledge to kids through the playing, through reading. And you must be thrilled with the way the books turned out. I'm so proud. I'm, I'm delighted. It's... I don't know whether it looks like it, but it's two years in development. It does look like it was two years in development. It's it's ex- it's excellent. Anne, are you, uh, is this your first time involved in a publication? Uh, well, I suppose I would have been involved in um, articles, work related things before. Yeah. But this this to me is my dream come true, to be honest with you. Yeah. And I didn't actually physically see Sam and Sue until about two weeks ago. They've yeah. been in my head for two years. But um, we, we met a couple of weeks ago and had the first mock up of it. And uh, it's just. Yeah, fabulous. It, it, it jumps totally, out. Totally. It, yeah. yeah. If, 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 I may, if I may mention, I, I don't think we, we ever mentioned that, but it will be accompanied by animation as well, possibly an app as well. OK. But we are working at the You're moment on animation. We're actually getting a, a film composer to compose music for it as well. We like to do things. Uh, we're a little bit of perfectionist. Yeah, I think. You don't do things in a small scale, Marek. That's for sure. <laughs> OK, you're launching in um, Philip's Bookshop. Yes. When today. is that? Today? Today at three okay. o'clock. So the book will then be on sale? Absolutely. And then does it go on general release or how can people get copies of it? Uh, it's available on uh, samandsue.com website. samandsue.com. Okay. Yeah, as of today. And after that, we only collected it from Printing House today. OK, so we'll this this is literally when steaming, we say fresh, 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 off the fresh off the press. <laughs> this is it's nearly warm still. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just I, I have to ask you, Anne, it's Sam and Sue, who are where, where did the names come from? Um, well, I suppose we, we had a lot of debate about it in the beginning. And the, the first time that I met with Marek and his amazing team, we had loads and loads of ideas and we, we just had to try to narrow it down. And then when we, we thought about the younger age group and the 112 message, we were trying to come up with something jingly then. So Sam and Sue call 112 Perfect. is the theme of our next so four Sa- books. So, yeah, so Sam and Sue will continue on now yeah, through. Yeah, the next four will be based on the main four um, emergency services. So the ambulance, fire, um, water safety, coast guard and, you know, the stranger danger one calling the, the police, the guardies. So those four are the themes of the next four books. Okay. And then we'll take it from there. And I love the fact that they're red, they're red haired kids. Well, that's down to our amazing illustrator. <laughs> they're just, they, they are, they, they really are gorgeous. Uh, someone wants to know how much is the book? It's going to be retailing at seven ninety nine. Seven ninety nine. Okay, it'll be it'll be it'll be fantastic coming up to Christmas as well. And if people want to buy a present, uh, a book as a present, which I'm always encouraging people to do. Have you submitted this to the Late Late Toy Show? Yes. Have you? Have we, you? We've sent it to uh, Ryan. Yes. Have you heard anything? We only did it on uh, a couple of days ago. Okay. We we control our hopes I'll yeah. be honest with you God it'd be fantastic it would be amazing it? if we yeah. could get it there and it it, I mean because when I was looking at it it struck me as something that you would see on the Late Late Toy Show yeah especially that it's not only a children's books it also has that little um, message yeah for kids it's it's 
it's valuable book I, I think and, and it's Irish produced as well that's what it's all about we wish you the best of luck with it thank you let so us know much. when the, the next books are out we'll be only too glad to give it a mention for you and Philip's bookshop certainly uh, from today at 3 o'clock on sale and then as I say from all, all good bookshops from next week that is Sam and Sue learn about cyber safety and, and Marek thank you both for joining us in studio thank you so good much good morning to you you're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your thoughts coming in on the Latte Levy. Whatever about the Latte Cup Levy, the two cents carbon tax increase on the agri-diesel is a pure disaster. On 500 litres, that cost is an extra €30. Euro. And over 10 years, that €300 euro would be OK if there was an alternative. The reality is agri-contractors will have, will have to step up. And that comes in from a West Cork uh, listener. Eddie in Ovens says, I got a reusable coffee cup from the good staff at the Amber station in Charleville. I got it a good few years ago and to this day they give me a good decent good discount on my refill as I stop there most mornings heading for Galway uh, in the truck that's already in uh, ovens. Yes so some of some businesses are really good if people bring in their keep cups already but when the latte levy comes in we will see we certainly will see uh, a lot more of uh, that also coming in. Hi Patricia why not ban the plastic cups and just allow the cardboard ones instead. I think the plastic containers under meat is much more of a problem. It's disgraceful, the amount of plastic in meat, says Mary. And if, a lot, if any of that plastic is black, it can't even be recycled. You get it on fruit as well. It's always shameful to see the amount of plastic that comes with the fruit. But on your suggestion of ban the plastic cups and just have cardboard cups, most of the cups that you buy now are cardboard and most of them are compostable. But the problem is... People are not putting them into the compost bin. We heard Michael from Glengariff, who is one of the great litter pickers in the area, talk to anyone who works with tidy towns, who goes out and does cleanups, particularly on the roads leading into towns and villages. People just buy their cup of coffee and whether it's a compostable cup or not, and they just fling it out the window. And that's the problem. And they've seen that that's the problem. So we've got to try and hit them where it hurts and put an extra and additional charge on it and see it worked with the plastic bag levy. We're going to have to wait and see if it's going to work for the coffee cups uh, or not. And Audrey says on coffee cups, simply get rid of them. That's the only way to do do it. Just get rid of them and make everybody bring their buy their own keep cups. And actually Audrey was the person who had also sent in a text when I was speaking with Jonathan O'Brien to say I thought there was to be no posters up for the upcoming election. There's a by-election going on at the end of November. If you're in and around the city you'll see a number of posters have started to go up. I was driving through the city yesterday and uh, I spotted them and said oh, election time. But of course it's only for the by-election. But I did ask Jonathan O'Brien and no, there's been talks of trying to ban posters but it hasn't come in yet but we did when I spoke to Jonathan O'Brien there are some areas that have poster free it's usually the Tidy Towns group gets uh, involved well we've had a message to all political parties from the good people of Glanthorne to say Glanthorne is a no poster zone as has been the case in recent local and European elections in 2019 and the referendum in 2018 Glanthorne Tidy Towns and the Community Association support a no 
poster zone in Glanthorne Village and its environs. So please, any of the political parties, because it's one of the areas covered in the by-election, do not put up any posters because you'll do it at your peril. You could lose out on votes if you decide to put posters up in that area. So you have been warned. Now, RTE are all over the papers uh, today on a day when the focus should only be on the late great Gay Byrne and instead it's all to do with what we heard yesterday and the plans by the broadcaster to cut 200 jobs. Leo Varadkar was asked straight out yesterday would the government be willing to hand over more money to RTE and he said they would, they would give them more money but he has warned that it must restructure and reform and structure and reform was what Dee Forbes was talking about yesterday, a lot of different plans to cut in RTE including the 200 jobs by all accounts there was a staff meeting held yesterday morning see they weren't due to announce this until next week but it got leaked to the Irish Times so there was a very um, hastily arranged staff meeting yesterday morning and seemingly their proposal, particularly the one for 200 jobs to go, was met with anger by staff at what has been described as a toxic meeting with senior RTE executives in Montrose yesterday. Now, Leo Varadkar said government funding alone is not going to solve RTE's problem given the deficit that it has grown despite increased revenue from the licence fee in recent years. But when he was asked, would the government put more money in? He said yes, but obviously the amount and the timing is a matter up for discussion. He said we have put in more money in the past. We did so only last year uh, through the social welfare contributions, through the licence fee and the income from the licence fee has also increased. But he says this is a state broadcaster. It's a public service broadcaster. We want it to survive. We want it to do well. But he declined then to be drawn on whether it was appropriate for RTE presenters to earn more than he does. This was after the business minister, Heather Humphreys. She got in on the act earlier. And she said it wasn't viable for a broadcaster to pay some presenters more than the Taoiseach gets and the Taoiseach, of course, earns 200,000. And there is a cohort of presenters, the big names in RTE, who, of course, earn way in excess of 200,000. And it always comes up whenever there's any talks about RTE hemorrhaging losing money but they are hemorrhaging is probably the right word they really are hemorrhaging money and have been over the last uh, couple of years uh, anyway it always goes back to you will always inevitably get well what about the big stars and the amount of money that they are earning now D Forbes says yesterday that all of the big stars are going to be asked are going to see I don't know if it's going to be asked but they're going to see their pay reduced by 15% now it will have to come up when they they sign them assuming yearly contracts when their contracts are renewed they'll go into negotiation but they will all be told it is 15% less than what they're earning last year but they're all on such big big money I think it's about 3 million is paid out on the top is it 8 or 9 earners get huge huge it's mind boggling some of the sums that they're earning but Dee Forbes yesterday in fairness to her she came out defending them because she was asked straight out uh, whether they were worth it, whether they were worth the type of money that they're getting, particularly bearing in mind, as Heather Humphreys has said, they earn, some of them earn more 
than the Taoiseach, the person who is running this country. But Dee Forbes argue, argued they bring both talent and commercial value. She said, let's be honest, these people work incredibly hard. She said, I'm not saying that the government don't work hard, but you know they do. This is the presenters. They do work incredibly hard in a very, very pressurised environment and in a competitive environment. But can I say to Dee Forbes, so do all of us and we don't earn a fraction of what some of the big stars in RTE earn. And of course, when the focus is on RTE, trying to save money and cost cutting and all of that, the big push again goes back to the government to say, give us more money, but give us more money through the licence fee. So the licence fee comes under spotlight again. RTE are calling it a broken licence fee uh, system. Now, they get more than half of their funding from the TV licence, but obviously then for the other half, they're dependent on advertising revenue and they've seen their advertising revenue drop. But the problem with the licence fee is that we have a tax, a licence fee evasion rate of 13% in this country and seemingly by international standards that is high. So if the 13% who don't pay if they paid up there'd be a bigger chunk of money then to go to uh, RTE and of course linking the charge the TV licence to ownership of a traditional TV set has always been regarded as an outmoded concept for about the last 10 years or so. At least 10% of Irish households are estimated not to have a television licence or a TV set at all in their house. And if they don't have a TV set, they don't need to have a television licence. And then as the population ages, there is a greater proportion of people who are paying their TV licence at the moment who are going to be eligible for a free TV licence and the older people deserve their free TV licence. So I don't ever want to see that change. Overall, RTE estimates that there's some €50 million Euro in funding lost to public broadcasting, i.e. to them good sales, as a result of the government's reluctance to reform the system, which then gives the US and the UK companies a bigger share of the Irish market. And it's got a lot to do with this how people I mean when you hear 10% of people don't have a a TV set in their home that's not to say they're not watching TV they are they're watching it on various devices and that's why the government has been under pressure and pressure has been put on the government to introduce a device independent charge and they have said that they will do that and they're going to I think they're going to call it just like a broadcasting charge or something they'll change the name it won't be TV licence because it won't be linked to your TV anymore but they say that it's going to be five years before we see the introduction of that. And if you look just across the water, the BBC have done it. They've, they realised people were watching their programmes on the BBC player and they weren't paying a TV licence. So they very quickly changed the system. They closed up what was a loophole and they did it with minimum fuss, which means that everybody, whether you have a television or not in the UK, pay a licence fee once they're accessing the BBC iPlayer. And that's what's happening here. People who don't have a TV licence, and an example that has been used is the Rugby World Cup. That was streamed to tens of thousands of people on the RTE player. And none of those people that watched it on the RTE player were liable to pay for any of it. RTE, of course, had to pay for the rights However, for it, but yet uh, there would be tens of thousands of people watched it, and they, you know nothing came back to RT for it. And that's one of the examples that they constantly use as to why we need to change the TV license, get rid of the TV license, and replace it with a broadcasting charge uh, instead. And then, if they do, and when they do that, will it stay at 
the cost that it is at the moment. At the moment, it's €160 a, a year. There is no sign of any political willingness to increase the fee that if a broadcasting charge comes in, they will leave it at €160. I mean, I remember at one stage when we were talking about this broadcasting charge and if they could get everybody to pay the broadcasting charge, including like the 13% who are evading paying the TV licence and if all households uh, pay it, there was talks that they could actually reduce it if everybody paid. It could be slightly cheaper for everyone and they could still generate as much, if not more, money. But there's no talks about that. But there's certainly, there's no appetite there to increase it. I know one of the government, it must have been the Minister for Communication, Richard Bruton went into some cabinet meeting and, you know, they were chatting uh, and he said, you know, how about increasing the TV licence by a euro? Most people wouldn't even notice spending an extra euro. And there was absolute uproar around the table because the last time it went up was back in 2008. So we're talking 11 years ago since there was an increase in the TV licence and at that stage it only went up by two euro. It had been in 158 and it went up to uh, 160 euro. But but I know when we spoke about what was coming out from RTE yesterday and the fact that they need to make more money and the fact that D Forbes was saying to the government we need more money, we need more money through the licence fee and that the very thought of people paying more for the TV licence we hit a switchboard that lit up with people saying that they took umbrage to paying the 160 and they felt that they weren't getting good value by paying 160 euro a year and people talking about all we seem to be getting are repeats 1850 and when they do programmes they do them really really well and actually talking of good programmes I did you watch that programme last night the OAP the O the B&B the OAP B&B is that what it's called and actually I remember we did an interview about it when they were looking for people to take part they were looking for older people who were willing to rent I don't know if it's rent out their room because I don't know if the young people when they came to stay for the two weeks if they paid anything I think they paid in kindness and by doing jobs around the house etc and cutting the grass and things and then we followed the young people who went to live with an older person an older person's an empty nest or somebody living on, on their own and you follow them for the two weeks and at the end they decide whether they're going to stay on or not and I think last night was episode three of it and finally we got somebody who decided because for the previous two weeks the young person had decided no it wasn't suitable for whatever reason I know the, the one that was in Cork the reason it wasn't suitable was she wanted to bring her dog and the older woman didn't want to have a dog in the house but last night there was it was it was in Dublin and uh, it was a lovely young student young gay uh, man really really gorgeous guy and um, Colette was the old age pensioner an empty nester lovely lovely woman she's a huge family around her who all, who all come on a Sunday she's certainly not a lonely person but she still loves having the company at night and I was thrilled at the end of the programme when they sat down and faced the camera and have decided yep they're going to live they, he decided he's going to stay on in the house and then just came up on the graphics at the end so that they continued to live happily together but you could see there was terrific chemistry uh, between it so it was it was lovely it's a, it's a lovely lovely concept and it, I think it's something we're going to start seeing more and more of not just via a TV programme but I think we're going to see more of that empty nesters people who have bedrooms and young people who can't afford particularly students who can't afford to rent I think you know I think it's a great way I think it's a win-win or all round. But the reason I mentioned it was it proves that when RTE, when they want to do good programmes, they really can do uh, good programmes and they certainly do them well. Uh, our text and WhatsApping is available at 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. 
Vodafone in Clonakilty, they've got vacancies for full and part-time retail sales advisors, while a labourer is wanted. That's for general groundwork. That's in Cork City. Newmarket Motors, they're looking for an accounts assistant. That's for a full-time position. And an order picker slash warehouse operative is required for work in Mitchellstown. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. C103, the River Lee and the Echo bring you the Cork City Sports Athletics Award. Athletics Award. Every month, a panel of sporting experts will give recognition to an outstanding Cork athlete. Cork athlete. This month's award goes to Michelle Finn from Leeville AC. Michelle is recognised for setting a new Irish 2,000 metre steeplechase record at the Berlin ISTAF meeting. The Cork City Sports Athletics Award with the River Lee and the Echo and C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Cork County Council looks set to become the first local authority in the country to work closely with schools to lessen the harmful effects of vehicle exhaust emissions on children. Joining me with details is Green Party Councillor for East Cork, Liam Quaid. Good morning to you, Liam. Good morning, Patricia. Now, you uh, well, you're very welcome. This issue has been addressed following a recent study carried out by a UCC professor. Tell me a bit about that study and what this, this professor discovered. Yeah, well, I suppose the, the overall background to all of this is that our, our Environmental Protection Agency has identified that around 1,200 people die prematurely in Ireland every year as a, re- a direct result of air pollution. So that's, to put that in context, that's about seven or eight times the amount of people who die on our roads. Um, and solid fuel burning and traffic congestion are the main, main culprits with that. Um, and then back in July, the, the same uh, Environmental Protection Agency highlighted dangerous levels of air pollution in Dublin, in particularly congested parts, uh, which actually breached EU limits. So they would have been around places like the M50 entrance um, around Pier Street in Dublin, so following that, local authorities there are going to be required by the EPA to come up with an action plan to collaborate between the two agencies uh, to mitigate pollution. So we've argued that we need a similar action plan for Cork. And back in September, um, I introduced a motion which was kind of a first step of simply assessing the scale of the problem. Because in Cork at the moment, we just have air quality monitoring in Cove. And there's going to be air quality monitoring in Mallow and McCroom as well. But there's whole stretches of the county where we have no, we, we can only really guess how bad So we've, no, we've, no, we've no idea if we're in an area that has high air pollution. Absolutely. Uh, so, and I suppose, given what we've found in Dublin, you know, we, we, can, we can draw a conclusion, we can extrapolate to, you know, busy streets of our towns and villages. And crucially, uh, Professor John Sado has um, highlighted the risks around schools. He said that children are particularly vulnerable because of their height. Uh, they get the full force of exhaust fumes. Um, and um, he, he also highlighted, um, or sorry, Sir David King of the British Lung Foundation highlighted something that I think a lot of parents might not know, that children sitting in the back of cars that are in traffic are actually dangerously exposed to exhaust fumes. So even if you're sitting in an electric car, he says, uh, it doesn't protect you because you're essentially sitting in a box that is collecting toxic gases from vehicles all around. Is that, um, is that even with the windows closed? Yes, Absolutely. Um, So this is something that is not really well known at all, um, despite this being a a major uh, health hazard. So children 
are particularly at risk because of their youth as well and because of their developing nervous systems. Um, also, if they have pre-existing conditions such as asthma, they're yeah. more at risk of developing diabetes or respiratory problems or heart problems uh, later in life. Now, the, the incredible thing is that despite the fact that air pollution kills many more people per year um, than road accidents, the problem has been largely ignored by our government and public awareness of this silent killer is very, very poor. And I suspect that the government has not engaged with air pollution because doing so would entail major policy shift and major expenditure. So what we would need is radical development of our public transport and cycling infrastructure. We'd have to undertake a massive retrofitting project, uh, pro- um, program for our housing stock, and we would have to mandate the installation of clean heating systems in our in new houses. Just going to cost remember, too much money, basically, is what you're saying. From our government's point of view, but we would argue that um, the cost of not doing so is actually much greater. And you might remember that Mary Harney back in 1990 banned smoky coal in Dublin, and that has been estimated to have saved 8,000 lives yeah. ever mm-hmm. since. So the very measures that would address air pollution would also um, address our climate targets. Uh, they would improve our quality of life no end. Um, so it's really something that we absolutely have to um, to, to, to address. But take t- me um, back to the schools uh, issue with yes. looking at emissions around the schools. As you say, the children are smaller, so they're lower down on the ground. They're closer yes. to the emissions, I take it, when they're going in and out of school. And if you go anywhere near a school at drop-off and collection, mm-hmm. there's cars everywhere. And the one thing I've noticed is the amount of parents who just leave. Yesterday, I was a wet day and I was passing a couple of schools the, ca- the engines are just left running. That's right. And I think I, I think no parent is doing this with kind of malintent. I, I think it really comes down to public awareness. Um, and you're right. I think there's a, there's a situation of kind of gridlock mayhem around schools that we're all very familiar with. And it's something we're really going to have to tackle. Um, so uh, something that I proposed at the Middleton Yall Municipal Council meeting this week was something that uh, a Green Party member, uh, Joanna is her name, from our local group, um, she, she made a suggestion that could the council um, work with schools, um, basically that the schools would encourage parents to, as a first measure, as a first measure, to just turn off their engines if they're outside school gates. Um, so this is, you know, it's quite a modest proposal. I think I think any parent would be on board with that. Um, so that's something that we're, we're hoping to do. But we decided to make it a county-wide initiative. So we're going to bring it to our Environment uh, Committee in, in, in the county generally. And I'm hoping that we can come up with a, a broader kind of awareness, um, kind of kind of education campaign around uh, air pollution that we can we can collaborate with schools on. Because sadly, um, um, Liam, you're never going to persuade parents to stop driving their children to school. I, I well, I, I think we're going to have to really look at infrastructure because in in Holland, you know, it's the norm that children will cycle, you know, ten or twelve kilometres to school because it's safe to have segregated cycle lanes. Um, and there's all sorts of other health benefits from that. And really, the situation that currently uh, prevails outside schools just isn't working for anybody. So I think we're go- it, it's going to be part of our general transition to a low-carbon economy, and that's obviously going to take major um, investments and major kind of long-term thinking. But in the meantime, there are other uh, measures that can be taken. My colleague, my councillor colleague, David Healy in Fingal, has actually... Um, been promoting and this has recently come to pass now a a school um, in his area where they've pedestrianised 
the, the, the roadway outside the school and, you know, in over in Scotland and in Norway. That's a terrific idea. So the parents are not allowed to drive the, the children right outside the school gates. Yes, and, and and I suppose it's come back to that idea of having kind of no no drop zones, you know, having a, a kind of an exclusion zone from school. Um, and that's something that's been trialled over the summer in Glasgow and it's something that's um, that, that, that's that been followed in Norway as well. And it's something I think we really need to to attempt at least. You know, it may not go completely smoothly. You may have something of a distribution of congestion in other, in other areas, but then we have something to work with. I yeah. suppose the, the point is what's happening at the moment just isn't working. Yeah, and we need to sort of think outside the box and look, to, there's got to be solutions there. Absolutely. And I think we're we're coming up against maybe more constraints infrastructurally than other countries to some degree with our roads. But I, I think we, you know, that shouldn't stop us from, from really kind of making serious attempts and making quite bold kind of attempts as well. So I think we do need to look at the whole area of no drop zones um, following this this other measure. Um, and did I read in the paper that you've met up with one um, principal, um, vice principal of, of a school in Middleton? That's right. Uh, I met I met them uh, on the last week of term. Actually, they were very accommodating, uh, St John the Baptist National School, and they've actually uh, really taken uh, quite a few initiatives themselves. They've been very proactive, and they have um, encouraged kind of staggered drop-off times with parents. They've a one-way system that they've kind of come up with themselves around well uh, their school and around an adjoining estate. Now, there's still serious issues of congestion there, but they're really trying and they're very keen to um, collaborate with the council to kind of improve things further. So, um, Yeah, I and I think if parents, if parents started to realise that they're putting their children's health at risk from all of these it, exhaust fumes, they it, will it, row in on anything that can help to lower sure. them. Absolutely. Did you, get a, did you get a good response from the council when you brought it up? Um, we, we had unanimous agreements um, among our, my, my councillor colleagues. Um, people were very on board with it. Um, so we, we decided then, you know, to, to kind of make it not just about East Corp, but make it a, a county-wide initiative. So um, I, I look forward to pursuing that in, in the Environment Committee, of which I'm a member, and my colleague Alan O'Connor is a member as well. Okay, well, keep us informed. Uh, and thank you for that, Liam, and thanks for joining us no on the programme. Uh, good morning to you. Uh, okay. That is uh, Councillor Liam Quaid, who joins us from East Cork on what is worrying the amount of vehicle exhaust emissions that our children are exposed to, particularly around the schools. 1850 John Paul is taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. A listener was on when I was talking about the TV licence and I was doing the comparison between Ireland and England with the TV licence and they have a much higher rate of people paying the TV licence in England saying, how much is the TV licence in England? Uh, Somebody asks, the TV licence in the United Kingdom, and remember they closed up that loophole so people who watch the BBC programmes on the iPlayer and the catch-up services, they also have to pay the licence uh, fee. The licence, since April of this year, April of 2019, the annual cost is £154.50 and p for a colour set. And this really made me smile when I looked at this. They still have a lower 
licence fee for a black and white TV. Now that used to be the case here in this country and I'm open to correction but I think that's gone. I think there's only one TV licence now which is for the colour TV. There was a time younger generation would not remember this when, when, you, when you went to buy your TV licence if you only had a black and white TV which is what a lot of us grew up with you had a lower licence than the licence for the colour one. could never understand why but it was always cheaper for the black and white licence. Anyway it's still the same in the United Kingdom. A black and white licence is £52 versus £154.50 for a colour one. So at 154 at the rate sterling is at the moment, that is more expensive than the €160 Euro that we pay uh, here. And they don't have the evasion rate that we have in this country. And plus they obviously have a much bigger population in the United Kingdom as well. The total income raised from licence fees, well this is for last year, was €3.84 billion, So just under €4 billion. Euro, the bulk of which then goes to the BBC. Uh, 1850-333, so completely different figures to what we're talking about here. John Paul is taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Hi, Nick Richards here from C103's Afternoon Show. Santa's on his way and he wants to talk to court kids. Ho, ho, ho! I just can't wait to talk to you all on Cork's Greatest Hits, C103. The countdown to the big day is on, so don't miss your chance to talk to the big man himself. It's so easy. Simply go to C103 and fill out the special entry form for your chance to get a Christmas call from Santa. Get ready for Santa's Christmas calls. I could be talking to you with Nick Richards in the afternoon, only on C103. One of Ireland's best-loved and most iconic musicians, Phil Coulter, has just released what's been described as a heartfelt biography called Bruised Never Broken. And as part of a nationwide tour, will perform for one night only at the Cork Opera House on Saturday week, November 16th. And the wonderful Phil Coulter takes time out to talk to us today. And good morning to you, Phil. Patricia, to be called wonderful by yourself at this hour of the moment just does, does terrific things. Ah, you, you say the nicest, nicest <laughs> things. Firstly, I can't let the moment pass because I'm conscious of, of the time and, and, and poor old Gayburn's funeral will be underway in about 15 minutes. Uh, Gayburn, you would have been on his TV show, you would have been on his radio yeah. show. Many. What, are your, what are your own personal memories of the man? Well, I think I did the first Late Late Show way back in 1967 after having won the Eurovision Pop It on a String. That's a long, long time ago. And then I would have been on quite regularly down through the years. Um, but Gay, you know, he had a great... He had a, he, he, he just knew exactly what his audience wanted. He, he had a great sense of, of, uh, of how far he could take that audience. And indeed, on the Late Late Show, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Gay breaking down barriers and, and sh- shining light into dark places. That's because Gay knew his audience. He knew how far he could take the Irish people. And uh, for us, he was, he was quite iconic and some kind, of, some kind of a hero that in many ways just led the charge, you know, into, into the next century. No doubt about that. And what, was he as big up the north as he was down the south? No, there wouldn't have been the same. The, he wouldn't have had that same iconic status uh, up the north. For a start off, uh, back, back in the early days, you wouldn't have perceived RTE up in the north at all. Oh. Um, uh, only in latter years did, it, did that become available. So he wouldn't have had that same iconic. I mean, people would have been aware of him, but um, not to the extent that he was, you know, uh, uh, part of the part of the fixtures and fittings down in the down in the Republic. Not at all. Because he was always so deeply troubled by the troubles. Oh, indeed. Uh, I mean, he was a man who who kept his finger on on the pulse of of, of what was happening in the country, be it in, in social mores or in in, in politics, or whatever. Um, 
uh, very knowledgeable. You know, when you did an interview on, in, on the Late Late Show, you knew you knew he was in charge. You know, you knew there was no chaos. You knew that he, his, his questions are going to be, be be properly framed. He would have done his homework. He was he, he was he was relentless in his in his preparations yeah. for all reports. You know. Yeah, yeah, and his his lights will ne- will never see again. I think because he arrived at the right time as well. He arrived at a time when we needed to look into our murky past. We needed to unlock secrets that were buried yeah. deep in this country and, and we and we had we did it in safe hands with Gay Barnes and we will be in, we will be forever in, indebted to him and, and may he rest in peace. Now you wrote your own memoir. Was that an easy task or was that a tough task? That was probably the toughest thing I've ever done. Probably <laughs> the biggest project that I've ever undertaken in all of my fifty five years in music. Um it was a couple of years in in the uh, in the preparation and the right it was all written out by longhand. I mean when I when I when I finally did agree to, to I mean I've been kicking the can down the road on that for a long long time it had been discussed umpteen times before but when I finally agreed uh, to do it the publisher said you know in this these sort of cases you know when it's somebody who's not a who's not a, an author uh, not a professional author we normally advise um, uh, to to get on board a a, a ghostwriter who mm. can walk you through it and you know the structures and then this that that make your job a lot easier and my immediate reaction was no thanks very much um, because <laughs> you know I've I've been a writer I've made my living from writing for fifty five years albeit on a slightly different scale between songs and lyrics and thesis for stage etc but I said for me uh, Patricia it would have been like a bit of a cop out to get a, a ghostwriter on board. So I said, no, I'll jump in the deep end and I'll do it myself. Mind you, there were times when I regretted my, my, my foolishness, but I felt I had to do it. I had to face up with it and fill all... I mean, as, I'm, as I chat to you and I'm sitting at my desk and on the, on, the, on the shelf behind me, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, twelve of those big folios, you know, the kind of folios that college kids use, all filled longhand. That's, that's the memoir. That's incredible that you did it longhand. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can't type. No. And I felt that if I dictated it, uh, it's a whole different thing. It's not the thing. same. It's not, not the same, same at all. No. Because when you sit down, for a start off, when you sit down and actually commit it to paper by longhand, you're seeing the structure, you're seeing the structure of your sentences, mm. you're kind of a, more aware of, of, of the kind of, of the ebb and flow of the thing, rather than just glibly talking. I mean, I'm not short of a word or two, so <laughs> if I started talking, you know. I mean, no problem to you. No. But have you a good memory, or did you have to cross-check with people, and when did that happen? Or? You, you're not believe this, Patricia, but I have to confess, there were times I had to Google myself. <laughs> <laughs> and did you find the answer? <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I mean, under God, how am I going to remember like, what what month of the year the Bay City's recorded Shang, the Bay City Rules recorded Shang Alive, or, or or what studio did did I record Richard Harrison, or you know, the, all of that detail. Thanks be to God for for the internet and for 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 Google and, and whatever, because but, well, my, my my two sources were Google uh, number one and my elder sister Monica, who's in her 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 uh, mid eighties up in Derry she was a family chronicler and she's got still has all of her marbles and she was a great collector of stuff you know right there's a Monica in every family who need to be treasured absolutely thank yeah, you to God yeah. she, she, she saved my bacon on, on, I mean one of the things that she that I wasn't even aware of she said when I called her up asking about family photographs and stuff she said do you know that I have got the journal that our dad kept oh yeah so when he retired he was very organised my dad being, a, being an ex-cop he, he sat down 
um, and went right back to his, his growing up in Strangford and County Down and all of the trials and tribulations of a Catholic joining the RUC, the various stations, etc. So that was a great source for me, you know, to recreate those days, the early days of, of the Coulter family and the Coulter's moving to Derry, etc. Um, so between that um, and my own kind of, uh, my own scrapbooks and stuff and the, the inevitable Mr. Google, it saw me through. Well done. And, and bruised, never broken. Yes. Where did that come from? Uh, from I thought if I was going to get a title, I, uh, I didn't feel too bad stealing that title from one of my own from one of my own lyrics. The last verse of the town I love so well reads, "Now the music's gone, but they carry on for their spirits been bruised, but never, never broken. broken." Well, goodness, so I didn't I remember that. There you are. And that's probably one of your favourite songs of all the songs you've written. I'd say. If you were to say to me, no, Patricia, right, Phil, we've got 30 seconds for you to make a decision. What, what song would you like to be remembered for? It would have to be The Town I Love So Well. It's yeah. a great song. It's a, it's a great, great song. Do you get back to Derry much? I, at the drop of a hat, I'll go back to Derry. I was there, I was there last weekend. Now that I'm a published author, darling. <laughs> I was, I was, I was, Did I you was, have book signing? Exactly. I was, I was signing in Eason's and, and Derry last, uh, last uh, weekend. And indeed, I see I'm signing in Eason's in Mahan Point on uh, the day of the, of the Opera House gig on Saturday the 16th. Well, thanks. Um, and it's lovely. I always think it's lovely to have a book that, 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 that is signed. I mean, you watched your beloved Derry go through the troubles does the whole Brexit thing does that worry you? It does indeed I mean I think it worries anybody who's got half a brain I mean because what worries everybody is that the uncertainty we have still no idea what way the ball is going to bounce uh, but we do know that if it's if, it, if it's a crash out or if it's a hard Brexit, that the the, the the border counties in the north of Ireland are going to be in deep deep trouble deep deep trouble I mean in a worst case scenario hard border and all of that entails would polarise opinion up in the north to the extent that, you know, in, in a vacuum, what happens is it's filled by violence, and that would be my greatest fear. Mm. You know, I, I, all of us who, who, who come from that part of it would rejoice at the Good Friday Agreement. We all realise the effort uh, that had been put into that by great men, giants of men like Senator George Mitchell, John Hume, um, even David Trimble and those guys. I mean, they worked long, long hours to, to hammer out that compromise. To think that that could be jeopardised now is very is a very bitter pill as well. Yeah, it doesn't just doesn't bear thinking about. As you mentioned, you're celebrating 55 years of uh, music this year. Do you still get a buzz out of the live performances? Oh, I do, surely. I do. I mean, I wouldn't do it if I didn't didn't enjoy. It. If it was drudgery to me, I would I would I would I would have given it up a long time ago. But I mean, you know, I look for I, I enjoy my gigs. I enjoy I I enjoy the the the, the opportunity to get into my favourite parts of the country. And I'm not just saying this, but I mean, I think it's well known that Cork is one of my favourite places. I, I'd any excuse, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm down at Cork. I've, something happened in my early days, just, I, I, Cork people got me and I got Cork. You know, the, my first, my first uh, week in the, in the Opera House in, in Cork was, was like a dream. I'd, I'd been, <laughs> we had done a week in the, in the Gaiety Theatre in Dublin, which was a big success, then we're heading down to Cork. And of course, you know what the dubs are like, ah, James, it's Cork, yeah, well, they're, they're different down there, you know. <laughs> The odd kind of people down there. So they scared the bloody life out of me. <laughs> so when I got to Cork Opera House, I thought, are these people really as strange as I've been warned? And, you know, I was just, the, the Cork audience just wrapped their arms around me and it was just from day one, I've just felt, wow, these, these are my kind of people. Uh, you know and, yeah, and we love our music down here. So, That's so, the thing. Yeah. You know, the parallels between Cork and Derry are, are many. 
Um, I mean, they're both. I mean, we both feel that we're the kind of uh, ugly sister to the big yeah, sister. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. The both real have, capitals. Yeah, both have got long histories of unemployment, and and industries been closed down. I mean, they, in Cork it happened with Dunlop and the steel and all that. Same thing happened in Derry, um, and also both have very strong, vibrant music traditions, uh, which which have existed for generations and which which continue. So I always felt very much at home in Cork, and my mother now. My mother, uh, she comes from the markets in Belfast, and that must be part of my DNA, because whenever I travel, I love to kind of sniff out the local market and stroll through there, and there's none better. The English market. The English market. I just yeah. love it. I mean, uh, and actually, when I, when I mentioned the outset, you're, you're coming to the Opera House next uh, Saturday week. When I was uh, checking you up yesterday, I realised it's not, it's not just the Opera House. You're in the Maritime and Bantry on the, the night before on the 15th. That's right. You're we, in we, the Ballymaloo Grain Store on the 1st, and you've a wonderful, there's a weekend with Phil Coulter in one of my favourites. Uh, places in Chidani. That's right. I'm I'm having a real overdose of cork. Yeah, yeah well done. That's well. like a like a bunch of gates. Bantry that Bantry before the opera house. That's right. That's the fifteenth. Yeah. Uh, on the first, on the first, and then Chidani yeah. is yeah is on the, the the weekend of the seventh. Listen, enjoy each and every one of the gigs. We're looking forward to having you back in Cork, Phil. And it's a pleasure as always to talk to you. God bless you, Patricia. Thank you for that. Bye 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 bye. The wonderful uh, Phil Coulter. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As promised, following our interview earlier this morning uh, with um, Anne and Marek, who have produced this wonderful, wonderful book. It's been produced by the Health and Safety Publications, which are... Publishers who produce health and safety publications, uh, they work out of um, Newbury Cross Industrial Enterprise Park um, just outside of Mallow and their first venture into children's books. And they have come up with such a high quality book. It is it's one of those times I wish I was on TV so that you could see it because the animations are just gorgeous. And it's the colouring of the animations are beautiful. And it's a simple little book. It's children's, it's, it's under the children's safety series, the first of what's going to be many other books which we will look forward to receiving and chatting to you about in the coming months. But this is Sam and Sue, Learn About Cyber Safety. And there is such a message in this book for anybody out there who's got smallies uh, in the house. Anyone who's got children or grandchildren that are just starting to go on devices, be it mammy or daddy's phone, or they're on an iPad or there's a computer at home, We've got to do everything that we can to protect our smallies. And this is the kind of book that parents or grandparents can sit down and read with the children. And there's just such a great little message out of this book. And the children are going to love it because of the animation in it. And they've kindly given us, left us books uh, to give away. We're going to give five away today and we'll hold on. I think there's another five there. We'll give them away at a later date. But we're going to give five away today. So we'll do it by text or WhatsApp. So we need you to text or WhatsApp the word book along with your name and address. Okay. And ideally I would love if it's families who've got smallies in the house or if you have grandchildren. I just want to make sure that these books get passed on to the small, the eight, like the kind of the five to seven, eight year olds, that kind of age group, eight and under, I imagine, maybe older. So the older children might read it themselves or read it if the smaller brothers or sisters in the house because it's just, it, it is a book I think children will pick up. Lovely, big, colourful book. It's, it's fabulous and it's just such great quality she said she holding it in her grubby paws because these are hot off the presses. These are the very first of the books. They will be going into all good bookshops, as they say, from next week. So text the word book along with your name and address, please, to 0862 103 103. But as I say, please only 
text us or WhatsApp us if you have a child in mind that you want to pass this book on to. You can pass it on straight away or you can hold on to it. It will make a nice little Christmas present or a little stocking filler. And it's called Sam and Sue Learn About Cyber safety. Get texting on that and while we await your texts, as I say we'll have five winners. We'll make a draw and uh, five of our listeners will receive one of the books and while we're waiting on that, let me take a look at some of your calls and comments coming into the programme today. We've been talking about RTE and the fact that they're losing money and the fact that they need to do something. They need to save six, 60 million euro in the next three years. I mean, that's a huge sum of money that has to be saved and the whole issue has come up now should the government be bailing them out should the gov- they are the public service broadcaster should the government be giving them more money and should they do it by way of an increase in the TV licence TV licence we know it's been spoken about it's a broken system it needs to be overhauled so do we need to do something about that and, uh, and do something quick Peter in North Cork this is on the presenters within RTE who earn high wages none of those presenters are aware of what people on the ground are going through or how their lives work as presenters earning some of them up to nearly half a million euro a year they, are, they have a completely different lifestyle to the rest of us at least in local radio or other independent stations the pay is not as much I can vouch that the pay is nothing as much also people understand uh, issues as they're on similar pay to their listeners and they also know the area no those high paid presenters are simply out of touch with their listeners says Peter in North Cork who doesn't feel they deserve anything like it now we know that D Forbes is saying a 15% decrease but some would say that even at 15%, they're still still going to be on very, very high wages. Let me just see. Was there other uh, calls or texts in on this one? All the texts, of course, are coming through for the book now. So let me just put a marker on that so that I don't lose out on any of those. And I won't, I promise you, I won't lose any of your texts that come in uh, to us. Uh, hi, Patricia. I don't agree with you. Oh, this is Martin in for more. RTE do not have good programmes. This is when I said that they do some good programmes when I was talking about the OAP B&B last night that I really, really enjoyed. And I'm really enjoying Ireland's Fishes Family. Uh, that's one of those programmes that I love every year as well. Anyway, Martin says they do not have good programmes. Uh, RTE, he feels actually useless. It's a good job that we have the other channels in my house, otherwise we'd have nothing to watch. And then they've the nerve to expect us to pay €160 a year for a licence. What a laugh, says Martin in from Roy, who is not a happy camper at all. Okay, some people commenting on Councillor Liam Quaid, who joined us to talk about what's going on with exhaust fumes outside of our schools and how children, particularly children with asthma, are at a huge risk from air pollution, that we need to do something to lessen the amount of emissions, particularly outside of schools. Uh, Pat says, hi, Patricia. Haven't they stopped people from smoking, blaming them for all the troubles? What stupid nonsense. It's been a long time since I sent you a text regarding this matter, says Pat, who thinks the whole air pollution thing is just uh, stupid nonsense. Somebody else by text says, sorry now, but that lad Liam that you were talking to in the last hour, I felt what he was saying was rubbish. If kids in my area had to cycle to school, it'll only be a matter of weeks before we have a tragedy. No wonder no one votes for the Green Party. There's somebody not at all in favour of allowing children to cycle to school. And I think that is probably, 
while you might be a bit unkind in your commentary. I, I do think it's one of the reasons that less children cycle to school than say cycle to school. When I was heading to school back in the, in the 70s, loads of us cycled to walk to school, but we didn't have as much traffic on the road. I mean, I do think that listener is right. The roads are much more dangerous today than they were for previous generations, for sure. Good morning, says a texter from a sunny battery. Is there any free rental on landlines, on landline phones for pensioners, please? Now, there there used to be at one point in time and it all fell in under the household benefits package, but they abolished it and I just double-checked it during the news there before I read out that text just to make absolutely sure that it wasn't brought in. Yeah, it was. I, and I don't know when they took it away. At one stage, there used to be free line rental. And I think there was, was there a bundle of calls as well that people used to get for free to old age pensioners. Some of our older listeners might remember that, but it was removed. There is a thing called the Household Benefits Package now that certain people over the age of 70 get. I don't know if all over 70s get it or is it all over 70s living alone. And there's, you know, there's an allowance they get so many free units for their electricity or they can use it for their nat- natural gas. As we've mentioned, they of course get their free uh, television uh, licence. But there isn't, there, and then of course there's the things, the fuel allowance, but there isn't, the, the one for the phone is gone. So I don't know if it's somebody is reaching the age and is wondering are they entitled to it. it was, but you were right. Your memory is right. It was there at one point in time, but it got abolished. I don't know whether it was during the downturn when things, when there was cutbacks coming in and it certainly hasn't come back. Not to say that somebody, some future government might decide to bring it back. But as of now, no. And then it got me thinking as well when I saw that text about landlines. Are a lot of people giving up their landlines? I'm wondering. Because I certainly know, and John Paul would back me up on this, when we are trying to ring people to go on air, there was a time when we would refuse point blank to do an interview over a mobile phone. We now do not have the luxury of refusing people on a mobile phone because a lot of people will say, don't have a landline anymore. And I still have a landline at home and I was only talking about this during the week. I ring probably two or three people on the landline. I do all of my calls from my mobile phone. So I don't know quite why I still have the landline, but I do. But it just got me thinking, I'm assuming a lot of people have given up the the landline and we, we are using mobile phones because you can get packages and bundles now on your mobile phone that will include all of your calls, including calls to landlines. So people, I suppose, don't feel that they need to have the landline anymore. 1850 on the latte tax that we mentioned earlier. Why can't people, this is a texter, why can't people simply make a cup of tea or a cup of coffee at home and take it with them? It'll be much quicker and so much cheaper. People have gotten so lazy today, says a uh, texter. Well, I think yes. I think if you're leaving the house in the morning, I mean, Simon on The Breakfast Show says it's the it's the first thing he does or the last thing he does before he leaves the house in the morning. He makes his cup of coffee and he has it in a keep cup and he brings it to work with him. But then he leaves for work, obviously doing Breakfast Show at an ungodly hour of the morning. And there probably isn't many places open that will be serving coffee uh, for him. But I suppose people that get coffee on the go are, it's during the day. I mean, I, w- I would certainly never leave the house in the morning and go get a cup of coffee. I think if I wanted my, 
if I wanted my cup of coffee that badly in the morning, I I would do the same. I think I'd bring it with me. But when you're out and about and if you're on a long journey and we know the Road Safety Authority run ads and run campaigns about people falling asleep and getting tired when they're driving and they talk about people stopping to have a cup of coffee and they, the way that they say you should do it is you should pull in, you have your cup of coffee, you then go for your 20 minute nap and then when you wake up you can start driving again and you'll knock another couple of hours out of it and the theory is that you the coffee gets into your system while you're going to sleep and then you'll be more more alert so they do so I think yeah a lot of people will buy their coffee like that when they're on the go as opposed to now that's not to say that people don't do exactly what that listener is talking about they leave the house first thing in the morning and they bring their coffee uh, with them now some other texts in there was a one lengthy one in if I can find it from here we are this is from earlier this morning this is just sort of remembering what's happening around this time this is for tomorrow Michael says Patricia 30 years ago tomorrow one of the most seismic and symbolic events in modern history took place what is Michael talking about? The fall of the Berlin Wall. And my goodness, Michael, you've blown me away that that was 30 years ago tomorrow. The Berlin Wall, of course, separated East and West Berlin. And it took everybody by surprise at the, at the time. There was months of protests in Eastern Europe resulting in the announcement that citizens could finally cross to the West. And at the time, everybody wanted a piece of the Berlin Wall as a souvenir. And it was Angela Merkel actually came from the uh, East. Today, Germany is a sleeping giant, says uh, Michael. And all that, that all took place in just 30 years in, in many ways it seems unreal that it's 30 years ago and in 30 years it's, it's such a short space of, t- of time and such a change and how Germany has flourished uh, since and a lot of people did I, I would know quite a lot of people who have a piece of the Berlin Wall and I would know of, I remember one very good friend of mine was a student at the, at the time and she heard about the fall of the Berlin Wall and she made her way across Europe by bus and train and got to Berlin because she wanted to be there around that time of the fall and she wanted her piece of the wall. I wonder, I must check in with her and see, does she still have it? But she has very vivid memories of travelling to Berlin just to be there. And hi Patricia, greetings from Clonakilty. On this day of days, as we lay to rest a man who gave us such variety, may I share with you a contrast of anniversaries. It is the 172nd anniversary of the birth of Bram Stoker, author of Dracula, who was born on the north side of Dublin. It's also the 129th anniversary of the death of Belgian composer Caesar Franck, who was remembered forever for the beautiful piece Palace Angelicus, which may well be sung at Gayburn's Funeral Mass today. Kind regards. That's lovely. Thank you for that. 1850-333-103. Our lines are open. We're looking for your texts, please, if you want a copy of the book that we previewed earlier today on the programme. It's Sam and Sue Learn About Cyber Safety. But we're asking you, please, if you just to text the word book along with your name and address. But please only enter the competition because we're going to make a draw and give away five of them but we want to give them away to people who have a smallie in mind 
that will get something from this book. We reckon eights and unders. It's so it's ideally suited to. So either you either have a smallie in the house, or perhaps you've got a grandchild that you can pass it on to. You can either pass it on as soon as you get it, or you can keep it for Christmas. So keep that in mind when you're entering, please. And it's by text and WhatsApp only. Oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. The C one zero three Cork Diary with Cork County Council supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit Cork. Coco.ie. A fundraising lip sync competition in aid of the Irish Kidney Association will be held in Fern Hill House Hotel in Clonakilty. It's on tonight at 8. Inquiries to 083 3949723. The first of three winter concerts in St Mary and All Saints Church of Ireland in Glamour will be held tonight with the Cork Retired Teachers Choir along with talented flute, string and piano ensembles from the Cork ETB School of Music. Admission is free, but donations are requested for Cara Junior School in Mayfield, who are fundraising for sensory equipment. The Manway Historical Association are holding a candle-lit concert. It's in St Mary's Church tonight at 8. Tickets are €10 and refreshments will be served. Bingo is on in Kildare Parish Hall. Every Friday night, it's on tonight, half past eight. While Castle Lack Football Club are holding a fundraising table quiz in the Brinney Inn tonight, nine o'clock start. Funds raised will go towards the development of the new grounds. And Clyde Rovers GAA holding their weekly lotto draw in the Hill Bar in Bottle Hill. This week's jackpot is €3,150 and tickets are available from Jerry O'Connor. The GAA Sports Star of the Month Awards on C103 with the Rochestown Park Hotel. So I'm in the twilight years of my camogie career. Things like this for me were in the past, but it's phenomenal. The girls that I play with, they were my inspiration, my influence, and they spurred me on. The latest award winner is Emer Fennell of Sarsfields. She's recognised for the club's Cork Senior Camogie Championship success. The C103 GAA Sports Star of the Month Awards. Recognising outstanding achievement in the field of Cork GAA. Yeah, yeah. This the one is for you. C103. And just one final text in there from Anthony, one of our listeners, saying, Patricia, all government related entities are out of touch with ordinary people, and the easy way is to charge the people more to keep the overpaid people in RTE in their lavish lifestyles. RTE is overpopulated, and the younger generation are not dependent on RTE. Hence, the future is looking very bleak for them, says um, Anthony. And certainly, I think everyone accepts that. Whatever is happening in RT, it can't remain the same. They have to, they absolutely have to see a change. Hi Trish, uh, by text, can anyone out there, does anybody out there know how to fix a Super Sir heater? I'm living in the Canturk area. Super Sir heaters, where would one get one serviced or fixed? If anybody can answer that, please. We have a listener looking for help there, as I say, is in the Cantork areas. I suppose anywhere in the North Cork area, ideally, where a super sir heater can be fixed. And we're starting to get into the cold season. And if you're reliant on something like that for your heating, then uh, let's see if we can get that super sir heater sorted out for that listener. Now, we've been getting a few calls on people who applied for grants for the warmer home scheme. 
Works due to be completed under the, this is the SEAI Warmer Home Scheme has yet to start. It seems elderly people in County Cork qualified under the scheme, many of them under the West Cork Development Partnership. Now, some examples of the work that an engineer has said needed to be done included things like the cavity wall insulation and window replacement. One man uh, took the existing insulation out because he, he got accepted for the scheme and he was expecting the new installation to arrive only to find out that there's a bit of a wait for the work to begin. You might be sanctioned for the work but there is a bit of a wait. People are now being told that the jobs won't be done until the middle of next year after they were under the pressure that the work would be completed within two months. Now we contacted the SEAI which is the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland to ask them what's going on and they explained to us that it's they provide free energy efficiency improvements to homeowners who receive certain social welfare payments so that's what the scheme is and we know all that we want to know what's the delay they tell us there has been a large increase in applications over the past 12 months that has led to significant demand on the scheme due to this demand the average time that applicants can expect to wait between making an application and being allocated a contractor can be approximately 18 months. Can they not get more contractors? This is absolute nuts. Waiting times may vary based on demand at the time of the application and the number and the type of the upgrade that may be recommended for the home. They say it should be noted that the scheme offering has also substantially increased over the past 18 months and applicants are now in the majority of cases receiving significant government funded investment in their homes which will inevitably affect waiting times and the SEAI are working through applications on a first come first serve basis. Now they don't comment on specific homes or contractors because we were trying to find out particularly about that poor gentleman in West Cork who took the, the, the existing installation out thinking he was doing the right thing getting the house prepped and ready and now has been told, well, we're not going to come back to you for 18 months, which means he'd have to go through this winter and probably through next winter before anybody gets to him. And it's a great scheme. And that whole idea of the insulation in the walls and the attic insulation and replacing windows, it can make homes really, really cosy. It will save older people a lot of money on the money on the fuel that they're burning if their houses are, you know, energy efficient. And because a lot of money goes into, you know, heating homes. But if you've got windows that have got gaping holes and gaps in it and if you're not, you haven't got a snug, warm home, you haven't got proper insulation, insulation half of what you are Heating is just going straight out the windows and doors or out through the walls or out, out through the attic. So it's it's crazy, absolutely crazy that people have to wait that long. And I accept it's been a successful scheme. But if it's, if it's been such a successful scheme, then please put more contractors in and allow people that once they get sanctioned and it's means tested and all of that. And once they get the approval to say, yes, you qualify, then I, I would accept I would accept three to six months max on a wait, but 18 months uh, really seems uh, ludicrous. But a great good news story makes the front page of the Irish Examiner today for a Cork family who discovered that they had a masterpiece in their house in the form of a Ming vase. It was discovered when a Cork family brought it for a routine valuation and it sold yesterday for 610 thousand euro over half a million euro 
which was way above what they had been expected. It was a rare, or it is a rare, Chinese moon flask. Now, when they went for the initial valuation, they were told, hmm, this is expensive. You could get between 80 and 120,000. So they decided to put it up for auction, but I'd say they were blown away when it went for 610,000 euro. Shepherd's Ireland Auction House in Durrow in County Leash. That's where the auction was held. Now, I don't know why, but they imposed a special condition of no internet bidding on the piece. And I'd love to find out why they decided to go down that route. Registered bidders were required to pay a deposit, so they didn't want any time wasters, and they had to attend the sale room in person. The value of the air room was revealed back in September when a Cork family visited the evaluation event with the piece, which they thought might be worth a few thousand euro. They had kind of a gut instinct that it was worth something, but nothing, nothing like 610,000 euro. Now, the auctioneer, Philip Shepherd, said from the minute it came out of the box, we knew it was an important piece. Everything about it was consistent with it being an authentic Ming blue and white flask which dates from the Yongle period. The who? The Yongle period. The Yongle emperor was the third emperor of the Ming dynasty, but you knew that, and he reigned from 1402 to 1425. Mr Shepherd, the auctioneer, would not name the owners of the piece, other than to say that they're an old Cork family with connections going back to a colonial past, which links them back to India would you believe. The family inherited the piece more than 50 years ago from a cousin. They bought it for valuation in Blarney just completely out of curiosity thinking it was worth a couple of thousand euro. The auctioneer believed the piece to be a Ming flask based on its colour, its weight, its touch and the bubble distribution underneath the glaze and that's consistent with the piece that would have been made in the 15th century. Its discovery obviously then prompted huge international interest and the auction house said they literally had guests flying in from Shanghai and Hong Kong for the event but I don't know why they made them all come to Doro in County Leash. They weren't taking any internet bidders but it doesn't look like it took in any way from the price with it going for 610,000. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Euro. I hope whoever the Cork family are, that they enjoy the money. And it brings them nothing but uh, luck. This is the Court Today replay on C103.
We welcome Mark Malone, our movie reviewer, to studio. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. And you went along to see a movie called Zombieland Double Tap and then the DVD was High Life. Let's take a quick trailer from Zombieland. Start talking. You first. Hi, my name's Tallahassee. If you want to survive Zombieland, you need to know the rules. Wait, I forgot the seatbelt rule. She knows the rules. I told her just a few of them. 73 other more. There's new kind of zombies. Stronger, faster, better adapted to the hunt. They are much more afraid of us than we are of them. You know why she's still alive? Because zombies eat brains and she ain't got any. Zombieland Double Tap Rated R. Now, when I saw the trailer and it comes up on the screen in front of me, it just said movie zombie. And I said, oh, God, no, Mark's doing a zombie movie. I'm not really into zombies. But then this is a comedy, but it's also a horror. Uh, is that yeah. unusual? Yeah, there's, been, there's been a few of them around. Oh, so, OK. Or right, I think just the very nature of zombie turns me off. Going, oh, I hate zombie movies. Yeah. Well, this is um, a sequel. And I did the first one t- it's 10 years ago since the, the, the wow. first one. I mean, if you would ask me, you know, when I reviewed it, the first film, I would have said what, two or three years ago, maybe. Ten. Ten years. It's amazing how it takes, uh, how long it takes sometimes for a movie to come around again. Uh, so we are more uh, four main protagonists are back again. Woody Harrelson. Same four. Same four. Uh, Woody Harrelson, Jesse Eisenberg, Emma Stone and Abigail Breslin. Uh, they don't really look that much different apart from Breslin, who was very young. She was a very young teenager and now she's a woman uh, in her 20s, you know. But she is still the youngest of the four who are still after the zombie apocalypse basically just killing zombies and getting by and trying to survive so they end up in Washington so where did they decide to live? They decide to live in the White House and, and why not? So that's quite funny the problem is, uh, well, the thing is that Abigail Breslin, because she's the youngest of the group, she just feels like an outsider. Uh, would you know Jesse Eisenberg and Emma Stone are in a relationship? Woody Harrelson feels very paternal uh, towards Abigail Breslin and wants to look after her all the time. She's become kind of frustrated by that, and she wants to meet people of her own age. And uh, who arrives one day but this really good-looking hippie who uh, says, "Look, come with me," and uh, you know, and they decide, "Okay, let's go to the home of Elvis. Let's go to." Uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Let's go to Graceland, and so they go off. And so the other three realize that they ha- she has gone off, and so they then go in a trail of her. For fear the zombies will get her, is it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So okay. that Woody Harrelson especially feels, of course, very protective of her. So he decides that uh, they need to, to to go after her. And so basically, do you know what this is? It's basically the first film again. It's almost like you know you may if you could put two of these movies together, part one, part two, and that's what it's like. It's like a two part movie uh, because it's basically the same, but it's still quite funny. I mean, I really enjoy the first film um, I'm not a huge horror fan as you know but, yeah. but the comedy is so clever and it's so funny uh, that it you know it really really works and, um, and we've got four fabulous terrific actors here who all work very very well together and are obviously having a blast you know and, um, and so that's what they've done here they haven't kind of changed much they haven't tried to do anything too clever uh, the budget is still uh, kind of relatively small because they don't necessarily need it because instead of big huge kind of set pieces what they've decided to do is just keep this as a kind of a character piece between all the characters and it's really really funny there was uh, there's a terrific um appearance by uh, Bill Murray in the previous film so keep an eye out for that uh, he does make it another appearance again and that's really really funny as well wait until after the credits uh, but nothing really uh, kind of in this film kind of matches up to that appearance by uh, Bill in the previous film I think there's a lovely kind of a spot, a bit of right where Luke Wilson and Thomas Middleditch kind of arrive and they're almost like this kind of 
what would you call it? They're they're almost uh, carbon copy of Woody Harrelson and Jesse Eisenberg. They're they're pretty much the same characters, and and that's really really funny. But um, certainly there doesn't seem to be as many kills this time. You know, I used to watch The Walking Dead on on yeah, on the telly, yeah, and I yeah. I watched like two or three seasons of it, I think, and then I got very very bored with the constant kind so of skull skull yeah. crushing, you know, and yeah. I found that very very difficult. But it is, um, you know, if you, you enjoy the first film, um, it's pretty much a carbon copy of uh, of of. But the, Enjoyable, but I, I did enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, there are explicit scenes. There's, you know, it's a lot of head smashing going on, which is kind of ugh, a bit difficult to kind of look at at sometimes. Yeah. But it's all done in a kind of really kind of comedic, kind of funny way, and uh, and all the actors are great, and they all seem to be having a really really good time. And I wasn't bored. I wasn't hugely entertained, but I thought it was all right. But brought brought out just in time for Halloween. It's sort of a picture of that Halloween market at the time. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. Okay. So Zombieland double tap. Market out of ten. It's still an entertaining seven. Seven out of ten. Okay, can you see them doing a third? I bet they will because well, it's, well, it's, it's made a lot of money again. Yeah. You know what I mean. So um, yeah, there is an appetite. It seems. And they so, do. Yeah. They, if they make money, you be guaranteed okay. they will come back. Now DVD. Uh, this is high life. You've gone for an adva- an adventure mystery. Do you know it's it's none of those things? And the thing is, is that uh, I mean, the, the 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 I think the title is very very misleading, and uh, it gives the impression that this is a kind of a, a light-hearted kind of space romp. But in fact, it's nothing like that in any way, shape, or form. Like it says, it's a father and his daughter struggle to survive in deep space where they live in isolation. That's only a tiny little section of the film. That's what when we first meet uh, Robert Pattinson and this little girl at the start of the film, the film then goes into flashback because oh, basically, okay. basically they're in this kind of what seems like a big big kind of a block of a spaceship and uh, you're wondering why they're up there but that's at no stage you know you watch a lot of films and somebody always kind of you know, reveals some exposition and kind of reveals the plot. Here, they actually don't. This is directed by a French woman called Claire Denis, who is very, very well known in France and has. And this is her first English language film. The reason why she made it in English is because she said, "Look, I can't see people in space speaking French, or, or you know, I, I just can't." Because it was in French astronaut. <laughs> yeah, but is see, that why? That seems to be that way. She says, oh. "When I, when I, when I, you know, in my ear, I hear English and I hear Russian and Chinese Americans." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but. The thing about it is that, like her most of her films, have been really, really deep, and I haven't seen them. I have to admit, but apparently they okay. really, really are, and that's that the case here. I mean, this is like nothing you've ever seen, and in fact, they only explain the plot as you go along, and so you have to be very, very patient, and you are bewildered a lot of the times because you're kind of thinking, I don't understand it. What is what is exactly is happening here? So when they do flash back, uh, we do find out what happened to the actual crew because they're not the only two that were initially on board this um, this craft, which was heading to this black hole. So basically what they did was they sent a load of criminals up into space and decided to basically use them as guinea pigs to try and, um, you know, if they find this black hole to kind of harness the energy from this black hole. Okay. Now, none of them are allowed to have relationships, but at the same time, Julia Binoche is in it as a kind of a doctor and she kind of um, is, 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 is kind of carrying out all these kind of artificial um, insemination experiments to try and find out how long we can go in space and therefore of course people will die if you're out there a long time and so therefore she's trying to find out exactly how you would kind of reproduce in space without necessarily people having an emotional kind of contact with each other and that of course causes problems. They're four years in and without that kind of human kind of contact, that emotional contact, that sexual contact um, you can seriously kind of lose your, your mind and that's 
what begins to happen here. Uh, even though this is a very strange scene, there is this box that people are allowed to go into, uh, and it's called the sex box. And there's this very, very explicit odd scene with Juliette Binoche, so uh, be, be, be aware of that. I think it's a 16 cert film, and that's kind of very, very odd. But as people constantly and then begin to kind of fall apart, um, then the whole concept of this trip and this journey also begins to fall apart as well. The, the, the performances are terrific. Robert Pattinson, who of course was in Twilight all those years ago, uh, you know, nobody really took him too seriously when he was in that, but over the years he's begun to kind of gain this kind of reputation of being a very, very fine actor. He's going to be the next Batman, and he is terrific in this, as is Juliette Binoche. It's a very, very odd film. It's a kind of a character study. It's not like, it's not, don't expect it to be like Star Trek, you know, put your faces on four or, or, or on yeah, stun or whatever. Yeah. It's nothing like that. It's a very, very challenging movie. It's very, very slow moving. Very deep. Exactly. And as I say, you know, you have to wait. You have to be patient with it. And um, and in the end, I think that you will be rewarded by it. You know, I, I it's, there's Stick not much with out this. there. There's not much out there. It won't be for everybody. Yeah. Uh, but I liked it very much. There are, I read a piece last week, the week before, there are talks about uh, within the next, I think, 10 years, the first baby will be born in space. Oh, really? I don't know why any pregnant woman, but they would have to send her up late into the pregnancy and close to the delivery why somebody would opt to do that I don't know but it could be a nice tie in with your story here there are always takers with that kind of thing Absolutely. so you know it could happen High Life Market out of 10 I'll give it 8 8 uh, and actually we got a text in yesterday and I said I'd, uh, I'd ask you did you watch Dublin Murders this programme on I, ha- I, haven't. I haven't seen it no because somebody was interested in in your take on it because the acting in it is meant to be quite Greece uh, of Cork she's from Turner's Cross yeah, yeah. yeah. near my old uh, stomping ground stomping ground yeah ok listen Mark thank you for that have a lovely okay. week and we will chat to you again next uh, Friday that is Mark Malone art movie reviewer can I quickly go through our winners for our books that we were giving away and as I say I do hope all of these are going to households where there are smallies or you've got access to smallies to pass it on it's uh, the, from the children's safety series it's the first book Sam and Susie learn about cyber Sam and Sue sorry learn about cyber safety and our winners today are Margot Ferguson in Clonakilty Fiona Coakley Rushbrook Manor in Cove Marie Dunn is in Charleville Neve Dawson is in Mitchellstown and Rosemary O'Reardon is in Tomes in McCroom. Congratulations. We will get those books in the post uh, to you and those books available 7 next week in all good bookshops with the launch of it uh, this afternoon at Phillips Bookshop in Mallow. We wish everybody the best of luck with it. Now, Feel Good Friday, Mark Malone is sitting in from Nick Richards. He's up next with Feel Good Friday with some of these tunes. <laughs> That is Mark from One, Martina from Four with Feel Good Friday. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. We're back with you Monday morning at 10. Get weekly news, event updates and community information from across Cork with our regional reports on c103.ie. From Bantry to Buttevant to Hallow to Dunmanway and every area in between, we've got it covered. To listen, go to c103.ie and click Regional Reports or download the C103 app and click Podcasts. Regional Reports, only on C103. Even on a budget, 
Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.